0: This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com dot com. Welcome to the first inaugural Ask Rabbi Yom Tov. Um, and and by the way, it's not like I have all the answers. Believe me, I don't. I don't. I don't know what in the world I'm talking about most of the time. So so don't uh, don't think I'm like Mister uh, with the answers. But what happens I've noticed is that not so much that I have the answers. It's that. It's that when you need something answered, when you have the desire to know, so that desire to know has a big impact on, on meaning God wants you to know this stuff. And whoever you're talking to is suddenly going to open their mouth. It could be a donkey. You know, it's just going to tell you what you need to know. So, so that's more like what this is about, is like me sharing, me sharing what you need to know. It reminds me of years ago, Rabbi uh, Rabbi Mutti Berger was um, sitting in the lobby at Eshet Torah. And this student, this kind of new rabbi came out and said, oh, I had such a schulz, I taught this class and stuff was coming out of me. I didn't know it was like, it must have been such, I had such a merit to teach this class. And what did Rabbi Berger say? He said, it wasn't your merit, bonehead. It was the merit of the students that that stuff came out of you. So... So let's begin, guys. Um, who's, who wants to ask first question? The first question of the inaugural uh, mission. Uh,
1: if nobody says anything, I'll I'll go first.
0: Yeah, Michael, you're the most vocal. By the way, your camera's working perfectly at this point. I don't know.
1: The, the bottom one. I have to. I have to turn it around. So oh, okay. Anyways, my my maybe my turn it around down just down for you. your
0: question. That's
1: okay. A question. A so... A technical
0: question. Uh, techni- Wait, let's get the technical question. Yeah, what's technical? Can we post the question on chat? For sure. Can you see the chat. Oh yeah. Can you see the chat. I okay. see it. Yeah. Okay, go ahead, Michael. What's your question?
1: So my my question is in regards to grounding methods and learning higher concepts. So when you describe certain higher, uh, you know, there's as you say stacks to the ceiling of all the different higher concepts of learning. Mm. I find that the only way to ground yourself after. Meditating on, you know, these infinite ideas is to go back straight to the basics, to the bare bones of Torah reading and simple mitzvahs. Does that make sense? Uh
0: huh. So, um, so your question is: When you've been flying high, what's the best way to yeah. ground yourself? And you gave an example of what you do. Is 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 that so? Um, I would... sorry,
1: sorry, sorry. Not not just that. I apologize. There's another you were saying that sacred place. Uh that sacred place where you um not not that was reserved to idol worship, where you humble yourself before God. In other words, you that place that you you uh <sighs> Not the you don't want. I'm not trying to use the English word, but you total reverence to uh, to God to bring you back down from those concepts. That's what I meant.
0: Reverence, okay, okay. So um, I'll share a little bit about coming da- back down. I think most people want to know how to get high. You know, you're you're talking about, <laughs> you're you're talking about coming back down. So uh,
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> more important because without, and I'm not talking about the use of any type of uh, drugs or anything, because I don't drink smoke or anything. I'm just saying just the basic concepts of infinite study or whatever, you have to find a way to ground yourself, right. even by basic Torah reading, I find. So I want okay, to know so your take on that.
0: So here's some grounding things. Um, one very grounding thing is routine. Another one is a spouse and kids. There, that's yes. that's very, <laughs> that's very very grounding um there is um, um certainly uh, keeping a, a seder Limut, a, a, a study system yes and that is um that is you know not of the the more esoteric type but the mm-hmm. but like the bottom line uh, torah and Halakha things like that yes that that's very important that's very grounding and um also in diet sometimes people have um by the way if anyone has noise in their background just mute your phone please or computer so um also uh there's grounding foods that one can be eating yes so so the one can be eating more what's called more yang food which is um, which is like meat and um, and um, grains are very balanced they're very balanced they're not as grounding as meat um, I'm muting your phone, Michael because there's wind blowing in everyone's ears um, the so so but meat's grounding, eggs are grounding all of those are are uh, like yang foods and uh, what happens is a lot of people who like to fly high will have a very, kind of sprout diet <laughs> you know they're like they're eat, they they eat like rabbits you know and they no, no just meat <laughs> and, and and they find themselves ungrounded so so it's uh so anyway diets also very grounding sports could be a very good way to get grounded and um, um i think though that our sages um the fact that they um connected higher levels of consciousness, um, with the grounding of marriage, I think that that is probably one of the most important things is to have someone to answer to. So you don't just meaning like you need someone who's holding the kite string and you if you're, that the, makes perfect if sense. You're the kite. You need someone holding that string. And, and so marriage is, is really important for that. Um, okay. Next question. Next question. Yomtov, you've been waiting for two days for this. You came on the wrong day. You got a question? I was... Uh, can you hear me? Yeah, we well, hear you great. I was actually just going to ask, where's this battle station you're sitting in? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You like my battle station? Is it, is it in your house? Um, no, it's nearby, though. It's a music studio that my son built and uh, works, oh, wow. works in. Yeah. Um, so, uh, uh, by the way, all the people on Facebook uh, live... You can also ask questions. So anyone Facebook live, I'm going to check my chats for, Mm -hmm. uh, for, um, you know, questions. I see there's a couple, couple over there. Um, Okay. Here's some. Um, How does the Torah advise we deal with addictions? Okay. And then we got a question about hair covering. So let's start with addictions. Um, How does the Torah suggest dealing with addictions? So, um you know addictions are are filling an empty hole inside ourselves. you know that's what why they say in the um in the twelve step programs. the famous line there is people say that I have a god-sized hole in my heart, a god-sized hole that's a famous line. So tell me, what is the one thing that fills a god sized hole? Nahama, what's the one thing that fills a god-sized hole? anyway you guys aren't gonna participate I guess you're, uh, you're you must be muted so God you'll
1: need a, something to fill the hole you need something in replacement to fill it yeah. whether it's whatever it is
0: yeah it's called God <laughs> so, exactly <laughs> so so that's the point is when someone says I have a god-sized hole in my heart the, 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 the only thing. Uh, one sec, someone... How come I hear you
1: now here? Uh,
0: there's, sometimes we have... Oh, wait, maybe it's... Listen
1: to it through
0: here. So, whenever we have a God-sized hole in our heart, the only thing that fills a God-sized hole is God. And what happens is we try to fill it with other things. And this this has to do with every kind of addiction, including food, sports, and obviously drugs and alcohol. And, um... And, uh... And, you know... Uh, uh, sex addiction, all all those things, those are all feeling, trying to fill the God's eyes hole, except they don't feel it. They just don't do the trick. And so um, one of the, one of the great ways of uh, that Torah deals with addiction is, is to be in Devecus with Hashem. And how do you get to Devecus with Hashem? Well, that's a whole path. And and part of the path of getting to Dubekos with Hashem, one of the most important paths is attach yourself to a mentor. So you have to have a mentor who's, who's, who you feel has a credible spiritual path. Now when I say a credible spiritual path, I do not mean a credible halachic path. I'm talking about a credible spiritual path. Um, the mentor should definitely keep halacha. That's a, you know, Jews go, go to mentors who keep halacha. But and that's jewish law for anyone who's fresh on the fresh into all this but they but the mentor should keep halakha but they should have a, a what when I, and when i say credible spiritual path i mean credible to you not, not not that there's like one spiritual path that's credible just that you yourself say hmm yeah i get that that's that's spirituality i mean i i got that so having a credible spiritual path and that and that mentor as a guide and and it really helps if you have community around that mentor so you're on the team on this you're you're on the yearning team and so you're because you know as Shlomo Karlovach said in this famous line about addiction he said that when you're hungry for bread you'll kill when you're hungry for God you give life when you're hungry for bread you'll steal when you're hungry for God you give when you're hungry for bread you'll lie. When you're hungry for God, you tell the truth. When you're hungry for bread, you're so empty. But when you're hungry for God, you're so full. And it's the only thing, your hunger for God is the only thing. I got my wife and kids on board here. Uh, Hi, guys. Uh, If you guys have any questions, I'd love to hear. Um, When you're hungry for God, it's the only thing, think about it, you can never have because, you know, is there any point when you're on your path towards God that you ever say, you made it? You understand? You're, you're never there. So it's the only thing you could ever want, but you're never there. And it's interesting, everything you can want and get there, like a Mercedes-Benz, yeah? anything you can want and get there, you get unsatisfied quickly. It goes down quickly. Whereas God, you never get there. It's always a path up and you never get there yet you're always satisfied so it's unique It's like an infinite yeah it's unique in that. sorry way.
1: sorry it's like an infinite yeah you can't run out of keep learning torah you can run out of booze you can run out of whatever but right. for some reason there's some kind of grounding there that you just can't it won't go away right like for 20 my whole life
0: and uh, and also since you mentioned torah torah is the other thing like can you ever acquire torah like did did Moses know it all? And we know he do, he didn't. And yet you're always fulfilled as you search into Torah. You'll never know it all, but you but you as you continue on your path, you're so fulfilled in that. So anyway, God and Torah, connecting to God and Torah, are the greatest cure for addiction. Um, but there are psychological aspects. There are certain grooves, ruts that people's brains get in. That, um, people with serious addictive personalities have, uh, certain ruts that, that exist inside their, um, what's called the default mode network. It's the, um, uh, uh, in the area, of the posterior cingulate cortex of the brain, where they've noticed that, um, that in brain scans of people with heavy addiction personalities, that they have, um. They have, uh, they have they have certain commonalities in that part of the brain, and so um, Torah doesn't discuss these things, but but they do. A person like that might need a reset, like a factory reset on their brain, and um, and that can be ach- That is achievable. Um, it's discussed in detail in Michael Pollan's book called uh, "How to Change Your Mind." How to Change Your Mind by Michael Pollan. Uh, Definitely a must-read. Okay.
1: Something with... Sorry to interrupt. Something with rewiring the brain through a psycho... It's like a very fine line that you're talking about. Um, it's not like a little bit of CBD oil. You're talking like a total reset through like a masculine therapy, which I'm not part of or, or have anything to do with, but I remember you had discussed it 10 years
0: ago. Yeah, yeah. It would be... Yeah, that that book's ex, the expose on, on using... Different different compounds that can reset the brain for for someone who has addictions. Okay, going back to the chat because this is some other questions on the chat. Um, what is the actual mitzvah of hair covering, and where does it stem from, and how much hair is required to be covered? And the question is, how much hair can you show really? Um, so, um, the mitzvah of hair covering. Uh, there's there's no direct commandment of it yet. We see that that the soda lady, meaning the, the way the suspected adulteress. Um, it says that you bring her to the Jerusalem, to the temple, and then the priest uncovers her hair. Rashi says right there that from here we learn that women covering their hair when they get married is from the Torah. So that's about as good a Torah source as, as we're going to get. Um, but it's clear from there that married women covered their hair. Um, it, uh, so that's basically how we know it. And it's been going on since, you know, 3,334 years, actually. Now that the, now that we are, sorry, 3,332 years now that we just had Chevrolet. I think that's where we're at. Oh man, I got to redo that math. Alicia, are you into math at all? Okay, no. I, I mean, it's, all you need is a calculator. Anyone here got a calculator on them? It's, it's just, uh. All you got to do is subtract uh, 5780 and then uh, take off from 5780. You got to take off um, uh, 2448.
1: Yeah. 3332.
0: Oh, cool. I can't wait for next year. 3333. So it's (laughs) 3,332 years since uh, Mount Sinai. And uh, so next Shavuot is going to be very special, right? Yom Tov 3333. It's going to be all three. It's easy to remember how long ago. Anyway, 3332 isn't so hard to remember either. So, um, now, anyway, but that's where it comes from. As far as how much hair is to be covered, so there's two approaches. Um, my my wife could help on that one. uh surely, can you ask mommy to come to the computer for a sec and just help me with this? Yeah. Um, Leah, I was just wondering. Yes. Um, there's a certain amount women are allowed to uncover according to Torah.
1: Of hair, hair, yeah. Uh, I know that Rav Moshe Paskins that that biddy meaning if her tichel falls back, she can show up to a tefach, uh,
0: which is about a hand's breadth. Which is like right.
1: you uh, uh, never meant by that that they could take their scarf on purpose and show it a uh, hand's breath, just that if the scarf falls back, it's still called that she's covering her hair, if that much shows.
0: Okay. So she's not to show her hair, but a hand's breath, she's still not breaking the commandment. Uh, she's not breaking the law. She should keep it covered all the way. She's not breaking the law until it goes beyond a hand's breath. We have to understand what it means. I mean, it's not... That's You know, what what's the actual law? So... Uh-huh. Okay. And then, um, anyway, but that's, that's the, uh, that's the, um, so you, one would want to have her whole hair covered and, um, and then the, uh, there was something else I want to say about it. Mm-hmm. That's it. Um, I'm glad you didn't ask about wigs. Cause that's like a whole, whole, oh. <laughs> Hey, no judgment there. That's, <laughs> that's a whole class in itself. Um, our community aren't big on wigs where we live. My wife certainly isn't. So, uh, okay. Um, then we said, how could anything exist outside of Hashem since God isn't physical? And that's a really cute question. That's Alicia's question. So, how could anything exist outside of Hashem since He isn't physical? Now, Now, you have to think esoterically to understand that question. But, so maybe I'll build up the question a little bit for people who don't think in these terms that Alicia's brain seems to think in. So, so it works like this. The, the Hashem is without limits because he's without limits. So, so nothing can exist in limit form that would be outside of Hashem. Why? Why? Because the second you say something exists limited outside of Hashem, you are saying that Hashem ends there and that limited that limited entity begins there. That's meaning. Meaning if you see the world as like this infinite world, you know, meaning no world, actually, infinite God, and then God like creates the world, so the world begins here that would mean that God's now limited from there. Because here is limited by... This area is limited. Let's call this the space-time continuum, the universe. So um, so this space between my hands right now is a space-time continuum, which means it's limited by space and time. Which seems like an infinite being would now be limited. Out, limited meaning outside space and time. But the thing is, is because God is an infinite being, there can't possibly be limited to being outside space and time. So therefore, God has to also be within space and time. So God is not just surrounding space and time, but he's also filling space and time. So he's not just eminent with an E, but he's imminent with an I. He's inside. Now, there's two names of God that relate to this. Uh, Michael, hold your question a sec. There's two names of God that relate to this. One is uh, the name Yud and He and Vav and He, which represents God being beyond space and time. It's actually also can be seen as an acronym of Haya, Hove, Yeh, was, is, and will be. Mm. While the other name of God that is juxtaposed to it is called Elohim. Elohim, you'll notice, the last two letters of Elohim is Yud and Mem, which are pl- re- denote plural. The plural is Yod and Mem at the end in, in the masculine plural. Which is very interesting because Elokut is uh, feminine. But anyway, the name for God in the imminent, meaning inside the creation, is called uh, Elokim. So even though God is both outside and inside, we have two different names to, to call God by. Hashem surrounding creation, Elokim filling creation. And um, and, and by the way, uh, uh, something very cool is inside creation, the, the number for inside creation is seven. Sevens represent the creation. And, and we say on Yom Kippur, when we're announcing the truth of truths, we say Hashem, that which surrounds creation, we say it, Hu Elokim? He is what fills creation. That which surrounds creation is what fills creation. And we say that seven times, representing the natural world. Uh, yeah. Um, thank you very much. Uh, I got a comment from my wife that I'm not looking up enough, but the problem is, if I look up, I don't see you guys. And then, and so this has been always the biggest problem with, uh, with all networking, uh, with cameras, all modern computer networking is, they can't, have not yet figured out how to put the camera in the screen you know within the middle of the screen um i actually not had, yet yeah not yet they'll figure it out um the book i mentioned someone had asked me what the book was it's called how to change your mind and um okay i handled all those questions and michael you had a, you had something you want to say
1: so aside from the cognitive reengineering and stuff i have a a Myself, I struggle with the idea as death as a concept in the third or fourth dimension, which means that I, if everything exists in time, for instance, I'll use the movie Back to the Future, for example, the doc is alive, but he's alive in 1885 to give it some kind of relevance. But in theory, if time is all in one piece, then you're realistically you're alive and you're finished in this segment of creation aside from the next step does that make practical sense uh, as all, all all events theoretically could be happening at once in other words the nine stuff in 1942 is is still happening in the way that you see starlight from a billion years away or something like that or another i can't wrap my head around the concept knowing the nature of the third and fourth dimensional and the theory of relativity and anything, it just, it's a
0: foreign concept almost. I okay. mean, I know it's
1: real, but it's a foreign concept.
0: Um, I don't, it. I don't, um, I, that's not really a field I'm into very much because the, uh, you, I don't know if you ever heard me talk about this, but I'm what I like to call a philosopher Okay. A philosopher is a philosopher that only likes to discuss Knowledge that is has immediate practical application. Um, meaning, it's philosophy that my physiology can practice application. So, so I'm a physiologist. And once I see, once I see in Kabbalah that God is renewing perpetually at all times the creation from absolutely nothing into something. So, all I. No, there is, is now. Because if God's perpetuating something from nothing at all times, so that's all there is. And and so as now goes, here's the future. You know, see my hand over here? Here's the future. Here's the present. And here's the shredder. Okay, the future is blank paper. The present's the inkjet hitting the paper. And then it's going out a shredder. And it, it just disappears into nothingness. And so older that's why your brain is only mated to experience the moment. Your brain it, your brain can conceive a future so that you can plan appropriately. Your brain can conceive a past so that you can learn from it. But it's purely conceptual. The only experience you've ever had is now. You've never had you've never once once experienced time and, uh, and so I so I'm much more inclined to the Kabbalistic study that there is nothing but now like a toddler yes exactly like a toddler and back, right. to, back to the brain science is toddlers have that have that reset brain uh, show up if you put a toddler in a fMRI you know scan
1: plasticity
0: is there yeah it shows up like a meditator shows up like uh someone on those compounds or or you know someone who's had a reset on the way that part of the brain grooves it takes you out of the group they're they're not in any grooves those toddlers okay let's keep up the questions what do we got next and and li- ask on chat too And people who just called in, you can ask your questions. Let me check Facebook here real quick. Um, Just uh, to plug this, by the way, if anyone, especially you out there in daylight hours, if any of you are interested, I'm running a possible youth seminar at 10 p.m. Eastern time uh, for men this week. And there's still a chance to join. You would want to send me a WhatsApp. um, I'll send a message to everyone. It's plus... 972-834-4664 972-834-4664 I can send you the, the uh, how to sign up so again it's 972 664 I sent that on the chat so anyone who would like to send me a WhatsApp and join um, it'll be 10pm Eastern and I will also send you the intro that you missed yesterday so you can enjoy that as well uh, you can get that no matter what if you'd like to hear yesterday's intro. Okay. Um, who else has got to go? Oh, I was going to check Facebook if any of the messages... How do I see the, the comments? I guess there were no comments. Yeah. Question, guys. Let's go. yom I'm still waiting for your question. I like how... i for questions. I just love spending time with you. Oh. <laughs> you're so sweet I'm sure, I'm sure the questions
1: will start brewing up the more time I spend with
0: you <laughs> okay you guys
1: do this every day
0: yeah yeah we're gonna do this every day um, also um, Facebook uh, the 10 people right now listening you can go on you can uh, ask a question if you got one no we're only going for, uh, we're ending at, yeah Chesky you got a question Chesky no, you just, you just came on the camera to say hi. <laughs> oh, okay. So we got a couple questions here. Uh, one is from Michael. Is the modern cell phone a form of idol worship? So when they say mo- the modern form, when they say the modern form of idol worship, you know, if something's, What's called, it's not true idol worship, but what's called the modern form. So this is a great definition of the modern form of idol worship, and that is uh, making the means the end. Making the means the end. See, uh, a cell phone or a computer or a smartphone is supposed to be a means for an end. But if you find there's certain signs that you've turned something into idolatry, meaning, uh, Oh, just to explain why it's called of the Means of the End. See, if someone worships the sun, the sun is a means to an end. But God only made it as a means to an end to keep our earth warm. Now we need it, but it's not God. And you're not allowed to worship it. The second of the Ten Commandments is no worshiping you know anything that is a means to an end. And you're not allowed to ascribe power to even the most powerful things. And so... And so the, and, and so what happens is people like, for example, um, right now I'm writing a book and one of my chapters is about, uh, is about not to go after money, but rather go after contribution. And if you get paid for your, if you get paid for your contribution, fabulous, you're going to live a very meaningful life and you're going to pay your bills. But what if you go after the actual money, at the end? So, but money is just the means to feed feed yourself, feed your family, you know, get a, be able to afford a vehicle if you need to get places. Money is only a means. But how many people have made that the end itself? And and so it shouldn't
1: be the motivator,
0: right? Well, one of the things that uh, one of the things that that is the acid test of all this of how much you've turned something into idolatry is how do you feel if it gets taken away? How do you feel if it gets taken away? Meaning... meaning, um,
1: Can you live without it for a few days?
0: Yeah, can you go without it for a few days? And, and it's probably a good idea, if it's not going to have a negative impact on others, to go without certain things for a few days, just to uh, readjust your relationship to it, to make sure that you don't have a... Uh, you don't have a, a more idolatrous kind of relationship to to that particular thing. Um, anyway, so certainly I would say the biggest appendage in anyone's life today is the smartphone. Smartphone is a massive appendage and Absolutely. people whose who their smartphones out a battery or whatever the issue is, or it's missing, have, will feel a clear, um, feeling of panic. You know, I haven't YouTubed this, but I have a feeling, uh, Uh, There's probably some good videos on people missing their eye, their eye, like they can't find it or got or maybe a teenager whose their parents took it away and got caught on a surveillance camera freaking out. But there's probably some good videos on YouTube of that. I personally never checked it out, but it'd be fun to watch some 17 year old kid, you know, bouncing off the walls in absolute fright of having had lost his, his, you know, gotten punished and lost his cell phone in the process. So, um, anyway, but the, uh, doing without is a good thing. And, um, and obviously one of the big steps is getting your smartphone out of your bedroom, you know, where you sleep. That's a big move. A lot of people have not been able to pull that off. Um, you know, they always use the alarm excuse. But it's not that big an excuse because the alarms are so sophisticated. By the way, I give ideas away because I'm not very big into entrepreneurial products. But if you want to make a fortune, you ready for this? This will be a a million dollar, multi-million dollar idea. You listening, Chesky? Yeah, this is a crazy idea. I'm almost reluctant to tell you this. The
1: alcohol withdrawal pill. uh,
0: Yeah, uh, you heard that one? You're a good,
1: you're
0: you're a good student. You're a good student. Every
1: word I remember.
0: Yeah. Whoever, uh, whoever develops that one's going to win, win the prize, but the alcohol out of the blood removal pill. So you can party all you want in the club and then just get straight in your car sober. Now the, um, anyway, I would love that because I hate alcohol and I love, I love beer. So it's like a real contradiction. So I can have one beer because it's low enough content of alcohol that I can, I won't feel that bad, but I can't have two and not feel bad. And also, I can't even have one beer after dark because I'll feel it the next day. I'm too sensitive. I'm highly sensitive. I take a tiny dose of what anyone else would take for anything. Now, um, uh, uh, by the way, how's my microphone height, height? You like it like that? Or is it blocking... I mean, should there be more of my beard? Look at that. Look at that bird's nest. Or is it perfect like that? You got that? Or you got that? Oh, it's not blocking my beard. On <laughs> Sorry, I was looking at, at uh, Facebook. The camera's way below. So it's like the microphone's coming up to my chin. I just looked up at the Zoom screen, and I'm like, oh, it's nowhere near my beard. So, um... Sorry, my bad. I told you I'm getting the kinks out today. Now, now listen up. Listen up. The, uh, what were you talking about? Uh, I was talking about beer for some reason, but I didn't want to talk about beer. I want to talk about something. What were you talking about? You uh, were talking about
1: the alcohol? The product. The product.
0: Chesky, listen up. Now, you make a smartphone. It looks exactly like the most popular smartphones today it has on it just makes calls it has one app one app no no phone whatsoever the only app it has is the iphones app called clock and with multiple programmable alarms the alarms are crazy loud i don't know how they they never got a an alarm clock as loud as our phones but our phones are very loud alarms um it's a very loud alarm. You can program it because what people will say is, "I need my phone to wake up in the morning because I set the alarm." And people are like, "Dude, you know, like, like just get a regular alarm clock." And the problem is, the regular alarm clocks, you can't play around with the ringers. You know, you don't have a million different ringers to, uh, options. You, um, it's not loud enough, and you may need it to set multiple alarms throughout the week. Like, you wake up this time on Shabbos. You wake up this time, uh, you know, on, on your weekdays. You may want to set the alarm just to say Shema at eight in the morning. There's a Jewish version, but you may want to set the alarm to make sh Let's say you went to bed at five, and it was too early to say Shema, but you so you know where you're going to get up before Shema is over. So you can set an alarm eight o'clock for Shema, just as, you know, hit the hit the off button, go Shema Yisrael, and then wake up at, wake up at eleven because the mikvah closes at eleven thirty, and get to the meaning. Meaning our alarms are highly programmable because every smartphone user has the excuse that a regular alarm is not the same as a smartphone. So what do you do? You create a smartphone with only one app. Now, you don't need a fancy screen. You don't need anything. You just get the cheapest Chinese, you know, manufactured smartphone with one app in it. You don't need any serious processors or anything in there whatsoever. And all you need is a good speaker in there and that one app. And it will sell like hotcakes. And you want to know something? Even if it doesn't make a second year run, because it just people thought it was too bogus. Every spouse who's angry about their spouse's smartphone in the bedroom is going to say, Happy Father's Day, Happy Mother's Day, or Happy Hanukkah, Happy whatever. Here's your, here's your new alarm clock. And they turn it on and they see it's their exact smartphone alarm alarm clock. Excuse gone phones out of the bedroom mazel tough. and you laugh your way to the bank whoever wants to create that baby so i put it out there now you whoever is entrepreneurial who heard this can go race and create it i'm shocked it's never been made i've googled it several times to see if someone made it yet and no one's made it and it's gonna be it's just so cheap to make but you can sell it probably at a premium okay um uh, we were discussing... How do I get on alarm clocks? Smartphones. Oh, we we're talking about idolatry.
1: I don't idol worship because the phone is so complex today that people are using them for... It's got the power of a rocket, but they use it to take selfies.
0: <laughs> okay, Alicia had a question. What are the similarities and differences between Jewish and non-Jewish spirituality? What do they? What do they, I guess, the Gentiles have right, I guess you're asking. So... That is an amazing question. I really like your questions, Alicia. The uh, you're welcome every time. So are you, Michael. So, so what are the? Everyone's welcome. It's just that I'm not able to relate to any of you because your cameras are off. So um, I got to rub it in one more time. The um, and by the way, I don't mind if you ignore me when I ask to do that. Don't get all offended and go off the program. I'd rather you have the have them off than not be here at all. Um, so, if I'm... re, Here's the question. Uh, what are the similarities and doing between Jewish and non-Jewish spirituality? Uh, so, it's a really interesting question. And it all depends on how we define the word spirituality. If you define the word spirituality in its most simple terms as being the opposite of the material... Like there's the material world, the physical world, and then there's this the spirit world, which is things that are metaphysical. They're beyond physic, beyond the physical. So then you would find our You'd find great similarity between spirit world, which is things that are metaphysical, between Gentile and Jewish spirituality because we would both be focused on the. On reaching beyond the physical into the spiritual, so there we would have a tremendous amount in common. But as the as the definition of spirituality gets more complex, as it gets more complex, and you start including an in spirituality things like um, prophecy, for example, that prophecy is, and that's very important to include because how do you, how, how does anyone know what God wants? You know. How does anyone know what God wants? The answer is there's only one way. You can either believe Dodo, or you can have prophecy. And so, you know, plenty of religions have some have a guy named Dodo to believe, but but Judaism has no one to believe. It's just prophecy, you know. And and uh, prophecy is not believing in someone. It's prophecy is is just simply getting getting divine messages through the system. It's a power surge. Normally, you're, the, the spirit world is somewhat, you know, it's very much, not someone, very much um, through step-down converters, you know, uh, filtered out so we can exist in the physical. But a prophet gets a full, you know, there's a power surge. So that circuit breaker broken, that one broken, that one broken, that one broken, it hit the prophet. And the prophet now has that clairvoyance. So that is, that is um, prophecy. So how can you not include prophecy in the definition of spirituality? But once you have prophecy, so then everything's going to be different between Gentile and Jewish spirituality because Gentile spirituality will not be prophetic by nature. And Judaism will be. So, so then, well, then where do the Gentiles get it if they didn't get it there? So either it's religion, which I don't call spirituality, I just call that dogma or doctrine. And if it's, but what do you, but then there's other Gentile spirituality where there are great channels that human beings have been to channel in spirit the spirit world. Because anybody who gets themselves enough out of the way starts becoming a soundboard for the spirit world. And you don't have to be Jewish to get that. Um, now, and in fact, it might be even easier to get it if you're a Gentile, because Jews have 365 things that could go wrong, you know. Meaning, you have we have, we have uh, commandments not to do, you know. Don't do this, don't do that. Plus thousands, thank you, plus, it's time, plus thousands of um, halachas around those commandments. And so, a Gentile, actually, who got themselves out of the way, is more likely, probably, to achieve uh, that level of messaging from the spirit world than the Jew, who could easily have been, you know, inadvertently made mistakes in in his spirit or her spiritual path. So, um, so to ask the question, what if? So, what is the difference? Um, I think that's the main difference: is that Gentile spirit. Gentile spirituality is channeled via their elders, whereas ours is channeled through prophecy. That's a major difference. Um, uh, they're both true, but I don't know how you call theirs true. It's, there's, it's not very content-oriented. Not a ton of content for true or false. Um, spirit, in general, doesn't have a lot of content. However, prophecy has tons of content. Tons of content. And, and there you get the truth thing you know people you'll notice that spirit people don't talk about truth a lot because it's, it's not a question of true or false in the spirit conversations with gentiles whereas judaism truth is like you know you know you know it's like because once you have prophecy you're, you're in you're in truth land now and the truth and false and and um You know, you had true prophets, you had false prophets, you you know. So it it became, uh, you know, the the whole world now sees things as, you know, at least in many of the world's religions, as true and false. Because the ones who are connected to the, you know, the Judean uh, root, like Christians and Muslims, all about truth. You know, they want to kill everybody in the name of their truth, and it's crazy. Like Judaism was the source of it all. We don't kill anybody in the name of truth, like. Like we, in the name of truth, we want to not kill anybody. You know, we, we we realize God is imminent in all things, and if you kill somebody, you killed God, so to speak.
1: Yeah, it's it's almost the equivalent of saying if we got mad every time, like like with the Black Lives Matter, everybody would be dead.
0: <laughs>
1: every time Jewish people. <laughs> oh, if the Jews, yeah.
0: Some,
1: <laughs> like for, for the slavery day, or the Spanish Inquisition day, or all yeah. kinds of nonsense, it would be everybody would be out.
0: Yeah, Jews, Jews get out of their crisis very quickly. I think probably 10 years after the Holocaust, it was unrecognizable that, that any of those survivors were in slave labor camps. And they certainly weren't licking their wounds, and they weren't complaining, and they were not... Um, you know, they were completely reinstated as citizens of the world and, and, uh, and didn't even bother giving it to their kids, you know, like it wasn't even, he didn't even bother giving it over. Like, it was like, okay, that was horrible, let's move on. And you see society just took them right back under their wing and uh, and put them right into leadership, and next thing you know, they're half of the U.S. Ex- executive branch cabinet, you know, and right a couple presidents later. Yeah, they say never forget, but like, you know, those are, you're allowed to say that, but you know that we can at least use it as a benchmark of how to watch out for, for this kind of t- the
1: next next attempt.
0: Right, but um, other than that, we just get up, we dust ourselves off, and move forward. And and you all know, yeah. yeah everyone treat you always treat someone how they put themselves forward in the world. You don't care so much about finding out their whole history i mean if you're going to marry them maybe but if you're not marrying the person you know that's how they're putting themselves forward you accept that you know and i don't know for some reason the african-american community you know meaning people of african descent there who were brought in chains you know literally brought in chains and enslaved you know much like the jews were enslaved in egypt and they they, they, the the mental very few escape the mentality. It's strange. I haven't. I've never gotten my head around that. How how some people just move. They're like they they like to the Jews like to go from uh, slave to CEO. You know, like their next step is CEO. Okay, that was slave time. Okay, that we're gonna go for CEO now, and um, uh, but. Very few uh, people are able to make that move, other than uh, other than Jewish people. Okay, um, everybody, we're going to call it for today. Um, please, uh, I'm going to also, you know what, you know what, I'll make this free, but I'll add sponsors. So anyone who's got a a company that wants a you know a product or anything that you want me to mention, you know, we could do some kind of cheap sponsorship that uh, help sponsor this, help help. Help keep the glazers eating, yeah. So, so the uh, so maybe uh, maybe we'll do a sponsor. show. I don't know. I'm starting this podcast, which I'll have sponsors, which is cool. Um, anyway, uh, please uh, subscribe on and click and forward and all those bells and whistles you can hit. Zoom doesn't have those things, but in Zoom you can always join uh, um, RabbiYomTov.com and, and join my media club and. There, I, I I have people working for me to take care of all my technological, techno stuff, and uh, help me pay their salaries and and make sure that I'm, you know, getting out there in the finest of ways. Shalom, everyone. Blessings to everybody. Be well. Be safe, and uh, we'll see you tomorrow for Ask Rabbi Yom Tov. Shalom. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you
1: by Torahanytime.com.